Today, I want to talk about the miraculous. It is the, the heart of God to use us in a way that's beyond our natural capability. And that is the miraculous. Christ was a man, just a normal man, but the Spirit of God came upon him and used him beyond his human talent, used him beyond his human capacity. Um, no doubt, Jesus was 100% a man. But when the Spirit of God came upon him, kind of like a mantle, and it settled upon him like a dove, the Lord anointed him, Father God anointed Christ to to speak in a way that's beyond his humanity, to speak, to live, to prophesy, to perform, to, to work with God in a way that was beyond his natural capability. And I want to tell you, that spirit still wants to come upon us. You and I, in our natural humanity, have it together only so much. We can do only so much. But the task at hand, the work at hand, is, is beyond your talent, beyond your IQ. The work of God is beyond you and I's financial capability. And we need a mantle from God to carry out the mandate of God. I'm just not good enough. The strong man should not boast in his strength. The rich man should not boast in his riches. Neither should the wise man boast that he's got it all figured out. Y'all, we need the Spirit. And God poured out His Spirit on Christ. Christ poured out His Spirit on the apostles. And they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They got immersed in power. And they began to live for the Lord and speak for the Lord in a way that was beyond their natural capability. They were just Galileans. But when the Spirit of God came upon them, they were mighty men and women of God all of a sudden. And I want to be that person. I, I want to be open and say, Lord, pour out also your Spirit on me. Clothe me, settle upon me like a dove. Anoint me. For the task at hand is much, much bigger than my strength, my frame, my network, and my experience, and my background. If it's a heavenly work, I need a heavenly supply. So the apostles were commissioned by Jesus to you testify of his life and of his death and of his resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, they began to proclaim this resurrected Lord. On the day of Pentecost, some 3,000 people uh, came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord. It was not a matter of days later when some 2,000 additional folk come into the faith. And so Jerusalem, the capital where they were, it's just now full of believers in Christ. And the apostles are, in a way, doing double duty. They were the close-knit entourage around Christ. And so, obviously, some 5,000 or so people in Jerusalem is looking to the apostles for leadership, because you were with Christ. 
And so they have the message of his life and the testimony. And so the apostles are doing double duty. They're ministering the life of Christ. But in a way, they're also leaders. And so they have to make sure that there's, in a way, harmony and order within this ecclesia at Jerusalem, this church community at Jerusalem. And one of the things that happened back in that time is that they began to share their homes and they began to share uh, their livelihood with one another. They brought the money to the apostles and the apostles began to share with people and distribute evenly as best as they could. And no doubt bread. There were just thousands of people beginning to live this communal life before the Lord. And as the apostles at one time is preaching and another time handing out bread and maybe allocating some funds here and some funds there, those 12 men began to, in a way, overlook some people. And when we come to Acts chapter 6, um, there's a little bit of a murmuring. And there's a little bit of disgruntledness within the Jerusalem community because some people seem to be favored and other people seem to be neglected in the distribution of maybe bread and of funding. And so there's a little bit of inequality, not intentionally, but these 12 men are just so busy. It's hard for 12 men to really take care of thousands of believers. And so we have a problem in Acts chapter six. I want you to read with me a little bit and I want you to see how they solve this problem by electing a few men to join them. And I want to show you how out of the ordinary, the miraculous also came. For the apostles, the miraculous came when the Spirit of God came upon them. Christ breathed into them. Christ also came upon them. But in chapter 6, 7 and 8, Seven men will be used of God. And it's not as though they will have this Holy Spirit experience, so to speak. It's as though that the miraculous will be born out of the ordinary in their life. And that's what I want you to pay attention to today. There are encounters where you and I are before God and in a way He zaps us in the Holy Spirit. And, and it's like a dove that comes upon you and it's a mount, mantle that comes upon you. And maybe the place shakes and maybe there's tongues of fire on your head and maybe you, you, you fall down and you cry and it's this encounter with God. But we don't have that situation here in Acts chapter 7. In Acts 6 and 7 and 8, as, as we will read, you see ordinary men that just go about the ordinary and in the mundane, in their daily activity, you'll see in the chore that was designated to them, it's, it's almost as though in just doing the ordinary, the Spirit of God manifested tremendous miracles through these men. That's what I want you to focus on. On the one hand, we should all be open to have God come upon us in a, let's say a private setting or an experience. Maybe you're at a kind of a 
church gathering or a camp gathering or you with friends in, uh, let's say, a dorm room and you guys are calling on the Lord and all of a sudden that place just gets filled with God and you guys know that Jesus just showed up in that place. Well, amen. But in this account, folk just go about the ordinary. They just go about life. But it's life in Christ. It's life in the Spirit. It's life for the kingdom of God. And somehow in just the, the ordinary, I want you to see what happens. It's as though they, they get out of the dorm room and they just live. They go to work. Maybe they go to college. They, they just live. And in their living, God shows up equally as powerful as when they were sort of secluded in an isolated experience. Pay close attention because this may also happen to you in the upcoming days. Acts chapter 6. Verse 1, in those days, as the disciples were multiplying in number, I love how they call this growing of this church, they call them disciples. That's another uh, message for another time. But the disciples were multiplying, and a murmuring of the Greek-speaking Jews against the Hebrews occurred. Because the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews were being overlooked in the daily dispensing, in the daily distribution. We assume that daily distribution to be maybe bread and maybe a little bit of finances or something. So they had all things in common, and people would even sell their properties and, and lay the, 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 the finances of that property at the feet of the apostles, and they would distribute it so that everybody had a supply. And so, of course, these 12 disciples, the 12 apostles, the 12 emissaries of Christ, in a way, they're beginning to miss some people. Hey, uh, leaders sometimes miss it. Be kind to them, Okay. They're doing the best they can. Every now and again, they blow it. The 12 emissaries here blew it in a way. So verse 2, the 12 called the multitude of the disciples to them. And they had a little conference. And they said, it is not fitting for us to forsake the word of God and to serve tables. So we understand here that food was involved. And the... The apostles, in a way, says, we've got to continue the message of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We've got to continue telling people about his life and his accomplishment. And now we're, in a way, being waiters. And maybe we should focus more on telling the story, preaching the gospel, than on, in a way, feeding people. So verse 3, they come up with a solution. They say, brothers, we want you to look... For seven well-attested men from among you. That is, we want you to look for seven men of character. Seven men of nobility and dignity and notoriety. Seven men who have a good reputation. People with integrity. Upstanding, outstanding people with a good report in the community. 
Look at verse 3. These seven men need to be full of the Spirit. And they need to have wisdom in order to distribute bread. I want you to notice, these are not the qualifications for preachers. These are qualifications for people to hand out what? Bread. Number one, you need to have character. Not to preach the gospel, to hand out bread. I find that interesting. Number two, you need to be filled yourself with the Holy Spirit. You need to be a spiritual man. Uh, excuse me, people, to do what? Hand out bread. Number three, you need to be wise. Uh, to do what? H hand out bread. Let's uh, contemporize this for just a minute. You apply to Domino's Pizza. Just to do what? Drive pizza to people's homes. And they say, well, we have three qualifications for you. Number one, are you a person of character? Number two, are you a person filled with the Holy Spirit? Number three, you need to be exceptionally wise, astute, prudent, have people skills, so to speak. Uh, excuse me, to do what? Can you imagine... how strict and how high the standards were back in the day to partner with God. Even just in the handing out of bread. I find that amazing. Why? Listen carefully. It's because in those days, and here's the key, they still saw the common as even holy. You and I today see the delivering of pizza, the common, the ordinary, the sweeping, the vacuuming, the babysitting, the grocery shopping. We see the mundane as it's just sort of secular. These men had a view back in the day that even handing out bread, giving a cold cup of water in the name of Jesus Christ, handing out a loaf of pizza, <laughs> a slice of pizza, if you will. They saw it as a holy thing unto the Lord. They saw it as ministry. You and I today see ministry as a man standing in front of an audience, maybe, or a person playing an instrument. Uh, we see perhaps that person on the TV or the man who writes the books, let's say, or the, the person who leads the Bible study, whoever that person is. Oh, now that is ministry, but me accounting, me being a nurse, me just being a school teacher, oh, that is the secular arena. Then on Sunday, I'll go to the spiritual, the, the sacred, the holy arena, and there I will expect God to do a miracle for me. But on Monday, in my college taking secular classes, surely God's kingdom cannot break into this arena. Beloved, your own view of the difference between the secular and the sacred is preventing you from seeing the hand of God in the arena of your life. You have to change the way you think about the sacred versus the secular. 
For a man who is of God and filled with spirit, everything begins to be a contribution to the kingdom of God. And giving a cold cup and a a slice of pizza, back in those days, they said, this is a holy work. Not just any old buddy, old pal can do this work. You need to be spirit-filled. I find this amazing. Verse 4, the apostle says, But we will continue to be in prayer and in the ministry of the word of, uh, of Christ. And it says, This word, this agreement, pleased all of the multitude. And so they chose a man by the name of Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip. And Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Uh, Excuse me. Back in the day, the laying on of hands was a practice for the transference, in a way, of anointing, but it was also for the commissioning and the endorsement for the affirmation of a particular person. Uh, Priests and and, and kings and and prophets exercise this laying on of hands thing. You don't, excuse me, you, you don't lay hands on a bread boy. You don't have like a ceremony and bring the ecclesia together and, and say, you know, pizza man, kneel. This task that we're about to give you is vitally important. Come, apostles of Christ, lay hands. I would rather think the apostles lay hands on new preachers and new teachers and transfer the Spirit into people who will prophesy and explain the life of Christ. Now, I can, I can imagine that to be a commissioning service, an ordination service, and, uh, an impartation. You don't impart the Spirit and the anointing to people who vacuum? Wash dishes? Cut grass? Unless they saw something of, again, the secular versus the sacred. They saw that wall break down where their whole life and everything in their life is unto God. And you need to be a man of faith and reputation and a man of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. It says in verse 7, And so the Word of God grew. The apostles are preaching the word of God and the seven deacons, or we might call them servants, they are handing out bread. And so the word of God grows and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem now multiplies greatly. And it says, even a large number of the priests began to obey the faith. So the apostles are teaching and preaching and expounding the life and testimony of this Nazarene. And the folks who hand out bread, they are faithful in what they are doing. And when everybody runs in their lane, the church explodes even all the more. Glory to God. 
Beloved, find your lane. If your lane is sweeping, then sweep for the kingdom of God because somebody's going to walk on that clean floor and just have an encounter with God. And in a way, you're washing and cutting and your ordinary is in a way preparing and paving the way for the kingdom of God to grow. That is, if you can begin to allow holiness to seep into even the mundane and begin to see everything as a part contributing to the kingdom of God. Okay, so the stage is being set for the miraculous. But let's recap real quickly. We have a, we have a situation and we need seven deacons. Seven deacons to hand out bread. And uh, are they asked to preach? No. Are they asked to perform signs and wonders? Come on, people. What are they asked? Just hand out bread. Make sure grandma and grandpa and make sure everybody's stomach is full. That was their lane to run in. But as the story now continues, you see all of a sudden how God's going to use this man, Stephen, to preach. He was not anointed to preach. He was anointed to hand out bread. But I want to show you that as he stayed faithful in the small things, all of a sudden God entrusted more to him. Why? Because to him who has more will be given. And if you work with this one talent or this two talents, or let's say this three or this five or the six or the seven, whatever God has handed out to you, if you're faithful with it, it'll be multiplied. So this man, Stephen, you'll see now is going to preach this amazing sermon. And he will then become the first man who gives his life for this Nazarene. But excuse me, all he had to do was hand out bread. But in handing out bread, he will speak the most amazing sermon and will eventually be martyred. This was not what he was anointed for. Then you're going to see Philip and a couple of interesting things will happen to Philip. But hey, let's quickly read just a few things here about Stephen. If you come to verse 8, it says, Stephen, we don't know how long uh, an intermission there is now between verse 7 and verse 8. Maybe it's a month, maybe it's two months, uh, a season, a year. I, I don't know the gap between verse 7 and verse 8. But suffice it to say, there's, there's a time lapse here. Stephen, full of grace full of power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Excuse me, pizza boy. I don't exactly know what transpired between verse 7 and verse 8, except this man, one of the seven is being highlighted now, Stephen, he, he's just doing the mundane He's just showing up and taking care of people. That's called pastoring, nurturing people. And somehow in it, he gains more grace. Somehow in it, he gains Holy Ghost power. I want you all to notice this. 
It does not describe that he was in an upper room somewhere and the Holy Spirit came and there was this encounter. Here is a description rather of a man who just served. But everything was holy in his service. It was not just sweeping dust. For him, it was an act of worship unto God. And somehow God said, well, if I can trust you with handing out bread, maybe I can trust you with signs and wonders. I'm not sure if Stephen went to a sign and wonder school here. I'm not sure if he studied how to like perform signs and wonders. I submit to you, this man just stayed faithful and worshipful in the ordinary. When everybody else dissed the ordinary, he made it his cathedral. Now, you read about the man is full of grace. Grace here is the supply of God. It's from where we get our word charis, charismatic. This man turns into just a person full of the supply of God. Then it says he's a man full of power. <laughs> and he does great signs and wonders. There's not a lot of description now of his signs and wonders. We have now coming a description of his sermon. But beloved, where are you fixating your spiritual attention on? Gaining signs or wonders or handing out bread and staying faithful with the ordinary God has for now entrusted? Because listen, you're in the school of life. And God does want to open up the miraculous in your life and empower you and let signs and wonders and just the mysteries of heaven pour out on you. But can God find trustworthiness and faithfulness in you, in your schooling, in your academics, in your household, among your family and among your peers? That's where you should really focus your attention. Not just, oh God, sit here in a corner and zap me, but Lord, use me as I live life. And consecrating everything in your life unto God. And perhaps God will open up heaven over you. And it'll be said of you that you're a person full of grace, full of power, with mighty signs and wonders. Let's read a little bit more. So it says in verse 9, uh, there were those in the synagogue um, that began to dispute uh, in verse 9 with, with Stephen. They got into spiritual arguments with this man. Now remember, it's a pizza man. I just always want you to remember. Verse 10, they were not able to withstand the wisdom of the Spirit of God inside of pizza man. This man brought God into the arena of the ordinary. And somehow, the Holy Spirit kept training this man. He was not in Bible school exclusively under the apostles. He was for some season, we believe that. But I want you to know, he's just released into this world to live and work in this world. And somehow he's under the training of God himself. Hence the many references to the Spirit of God within him. He learned to walk with God in the ordinary. Amen? Amen. Oh me. And somehow 
God teaches this man. And when this deacon, this bread man begins to speak for God, people could not withstand the spirit and the wisdom and the intelligence in this man. I find that interesting. So they instigated some men to accuse him of blasphemy. And you can read now in verse 7 this amazing encounter. But actually, I want you to notice uh, verse 15, chapter 6, verse 15. This man is full of faith, reputation, full of Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. There's grace upon him. There's the Spirit of God so strong in him. There's signs. There's wonders. But to me, verse 15 is just about the cherry on the cake. It says, all those who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, this is this, uh, it's the legal court, if you will, of the Jewish people of that time. So he's on trial in front of a bunch of interrogators. And it says, they looked intently at bread boy or bread man, and they saw his face as though it was the face of an, uh, hello, God's countenance, excuse me, was lifted up upon this man. The image of God was upon this man. They just did not know it was the image of God, so they reckoned it as the image of an angel. <laughs> this is so beautiful. A bread man bears the image of God. Heaven's reflection is on a bread man. Now, if it's on a pastor or a preacher or an ordained, qualified apostle, yes, I can understand the face of God shining on a, on a spiritual dignitary, you know, an apostle that had been with Jesus. But a pizza man. Something happened. There's not a full description here. Um, Luke, as he writes this narrative, does not let us in how all this happened. We can only guess the journey of this one particular deacon of the seven, Stephen. But I just want to submit to you, and if I'm wrong in this, forgive me. But I just, I imagine this man took his little job handing out bread so seriously. Perhaps he was before God all day long. God, how do I give out bread? Lord, how do I love people? Is there a kind word I can say as I give out bread? God, is there a, a truth I, I learned from the apostles that you want me to speak? I wonder if this man took the bread dishing out ordinance so seriously that he gained God in the ordinary. I would love all of you when you get to heaven. I know you're going to first run to Jesus. We're going to hug. I get that. And then to Abraham and then to David and Moses. I know we're going to. I want to go hang out with Ezekiel. Like, dude, what was that all about? That's my first. But really, we should be running to this man, Stephen, one day. It's like, what? What happened? That you were asked to do a simple task. And you shine with the glory of God that people somehow associate you with the heavenly. Angels were associated with above. 
They associate this man not with bread, but with above. You read in verse uh, chapter 7 now, the sermon. In a way, it's a walk through the Bible sermon. He goes through the whole narrative. And it's a marvelous, wise, intelligible, coherent sermon as to how this Jesus Christ figure came from the Jewish people. If you come to verse 54, it says that they heard these things, this explanation, this gospel that he's preaching, they heard these things and they were exasperated. They were, they were so convicted. They were frustrated. Why? A pizza man should not preach like this. They were stumped and dumbfounded and aggravated. It says here they gnashed their teeth at him. This was a Jewish thing like, frustration. How can it be that a bread boy speaks the Jewish history and then brings the gospel like this? They were so livid. It has been uh, said that if our preaching at times does not make people frustrated, we've not preached well. That's not an absolute statement. But this man, whew, he really provoked these people. Look at verse 55 again. It says, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Notice the, the constant reference to the Spirit. And he looked intently into heaven and he saw the glory of God and of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Hello, bread man looks into another realm. Bread man. He went to no class on open heavens and visions and dreams and he just handed out bread. I I marvel. Verse 56, he says, Behold! I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears. They rushed upon Him with one accord. They threw Him outside of the city and they stoned Him. He was not a missionary that died for Jesus on the mission field. He was just asked, hey, we we need help. People need bread. We need you. Where does that leave you and I? Hello. Where does it leave me? How often do you and I grumble and complain at the simple and the mundane? How often? Because you're disqualifying yourself through your murmuring. I remind you, back in Numbers chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, as as, as the 12 spies go in to spy out the land and they come back, they give this negative report. We can't do this. And then the people complain, oh Moses, did you bring us out into this desert to humiliate us and to die here? And because of their murmuring, because of their complaining, they shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, from entering into the fullness of God, the promises of God, the land of God, the destiny of God. They themselves did it. Why? 
Because they grumble and they complain. How often do you and I stunt the invasion of God into our world, the expression of God into our world. Why? Because I don't want to wash dishes. I don't want to sweep. I don't want to show up to class early. I don't want to give my best in the ordinary. I mean, this is ordinary. I'd rather be in church on Sunday, which is extraordinary. That's holy. But just God in my apartment, in my dorm room, God in my work, I want you to notice something else. It says they threw him outside, they stoned him. It was a rock concert, okay? It says the witnesses lay down their garments at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul, Shaul. This is the introduction of the apostle Paul. It says in verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he called upon the Lord. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This man was in love with Jesus and he was ready to go. And in that final few minutes of his life, we don't find a man cursing, defending, but we find a man praising God. I submit to you, he didn't praise God in those final few moments of his life. He had already cultivated a lifestyle of calling on the name of the Lord, loving and honoring and worshiping the name of the Lord. I'm not sure it was entirely unique there at the, at the moment of his death. See, all these things had already been built into him. It had been dispensed into him. It had been wrought and fused and merged into his being through just a life of the ordinary. Y'all, this to me is true spirituality. Give me a, a crowd. Uh, give me a nice room, light the candle. Put, put a couple of lights behind me and just make the atmosphere nice. And man, we can all be spiritual. Paint a little bit of these windows for me, some nice Jesus pictures, and have a choir for We can all be spiritual, bless God. Hallelujah. Glory. We can all be spiritual. How are you? Oh, I'm just so good. We can all say amen and say glory, but can you hear what I'm saying? Here's an example in the Word of God, a man who lived the testimony of God outside of the cathedral. Now that to me is spirituality. That, not saying inside the cathedral you can't be spiritual, but I'm especially intrigued by a man who handed out bread and would die in the name of Jesus Christ. Especially intrigued. But I want you to notice one last statement here. In verse 60, he cries out, he says, Lord, receive my spirit, kind of like Jesus did on the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he says in verse 60, as he's kneeling down, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Like Christ on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Listen to me, young man and woman. This man had become so one with Christ that he spoke even the way Christ spoke. He forgave by the forgiveness of Christ. He had mercy by the mercy of Christ. Christ was incarnated into this man. That he spoke in a way, one speaking with his Lord. It's humanly impossible to forgive. So we know that this man came into transformation. This man came into renewal. This man came into the, to the character of Christ in him. He was able to forgive not because he had just learned some kind of a Jesus lesson. He, he, he forgave because Christ had become so real and incarnated into this man. He lived a transformed life. Uh, excuse me, pizza man. I find that interesting. Luke does not narrate the story of all seven men. He just quickly tells us a, a little bit of two particular men. The one Stephen and uh, the one called Philip. We read about Philip a little bit later on again in the book of Acts. But here we have our introduction to another bread man. His name is Philip. And I want you to see the weird things this man does. Hello. He disappears. He gets what we call translated. Now, there's, there's a spiritual gift very few of us ask for. But uh, it happened to this man. On what platform? On the platform of handing out bread. Dude, you want to, like, be relocated, like, just like that? Beam me up, Scotty. That happened here. To a bread man. This is, this is just amazing. So it says here in chapter 8, verse 1, you know, Saul is... Uh, uh, persecuting the Christians. And then you come to verse 4. Those therefore who were scattered went through the land announcing the word of the gospel. Saul is causing a persecution and they, uh, you know, uh, dismantle from Jerusalem, disband. And so they scatter and everywhere they go, they preach Christ. So now Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and he proclaims Christ to the Samaritans. And the crowds gave heed with one accord to the things that Philip said as they heard and saw the signs which he did. Uh, bread man is associated with signs and wonders. Hello? It just blows my mind. It says, verse 7, For with many of those who had unclean spirits... The spirits come out of them. They came out and cried with a loud voice. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Excuse me. By bread man. Or pizza man. 
Again, you see here a man that just, in a way, stayed faithful in the ordinary. And somehow the miraculous opens up. And you and I, we just sort of want to be standing in a corner somewhere. It's like, oh God, zap me now. And, and then God does that. He's done that for me. And he, no doubt he's done that for you. But I want to show you another picture. It's as you go with God. And as you stay in the journey with God. And as you are faithful working with God. God is like, why not also zap them there? Listen, you can't squeeze God into a silo. The earth is his footstool. So wherever you go on this earth, he's ready to make things happen. If you can make the earth your cathedral, if you can make the earth your holy of holies and say everything here is unto God. So paralyzed people and of course the lame people and demon possessed people get delivered by bread man. Yay! Three cheers and hurrah for pizza delivery men. It says there was much joy in that city. And then you can read a little bit of the story there of uh, Simon. Um, so it says in verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. So Peter and John then comes and lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit shows up some more. If you flip the page to verse 26, it continues the story now of Philip. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Uh, Hello, angels, speak to bread man. So this, this angel speaks to this man, Philip. It says, rise up and go to the south. And uh, take this desert road there on the road to, to, uh, to Gaza. And uh, you're going to meet this man. So he rose up and he went, verse 27. He didn't dispute like, is this God? Like an angel just spoke to me, what? No, he, I think he's so used to angels speaking to him, the Spirit of God. It's like, okay, another assignment, let's go. It's so ordinary. What you and I would freak out like an angel just spoke to me. Oh, journal. I, I got to journal this first. He's like, okay, thank you, another message. All right, here we go. So common. So he goes down, there's this Ethiopian man. You know this story. Verse 28, um, he's sitting in the back of this chariot and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And a spirit said to Philip, approach and join the chariot. Uh, what? Give me a sign. I, you, I, like, God is at you? Yes. He just obeys. Angel speaks to him. Spirit speaks to him. I think what you need to see here, the man is just, he hears God through spirit, through angels. The man just has an ear for God. He's not questioning God. Like, really? Would you send me a confirmation? There's no timidity in this man. I can't run up to a chariot, talk to a man. I just don't have talking skills. No excuses, nothing. What I want you to see, somehow these men... We're faithful in the small, brave, and, and, and somehow God just entrusted to them greater and greater opportunities 
to you. Philip's like, okay, Holy Ghost, you want me to run up to a chariot? No problem. Verse 30, he runs up, hears this man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he says to him, do you really know what you're reading there, sir? The man says, I, I don't know if somebody teach, don't teach me what's going on here. I, I don't know. So Philip, you know the story. He runs up, he sits with him, and he interprets to, to him the, uh, the prophecy there from Isaiah 53. He has this dialogue. Now the man is like a, excuse me, a Bible interpreter. Pizza man interprets the prophecy of Isaiah. He gives commentary. He speaks and teaches the message of the Messiah through an Old Testament passage. Uh, pizza people don't do that. But in this context, they did. Now he's a Bible interpreter. He clarifies and gives some definition and meaning to Isaiah 53. I want you to notice verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and he said to him, I beseech you, concerning whom does this prophet say this, concerning himself or someone else? And so Philip, Philip opens up his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he announced Jesus as the gospel. He didn't take the man to his pastor. He's like, I'll tell you what's going on here. Because I paid attention in synagogue. <laughs> so now he's a preacher. And he interprets. It says in verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came upon some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? So we know that somehow in his exposition of Jesus as the Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, somehow in all of it, he invited this man to the waters of baptism. And he told him somehow of baptism. This man is so overcome. He's like, oh, there's water. Let's do this now. No catechism class. No big hoopty to do. Oh, there's water. Let's act on this now. And I, I wonder if that's the key to the early Christians. They heard it. They did it. Understanding came later. Obedience was always first. I wonder if Philip just lived in that kind of a rhythm. Now, now, now is the day of salvation. Now, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I, I wonder if they just lived in a kind of a now spirituality versus a, we'll cross that bridge later, God. I'll hear you out at a more opportune time. I, I just marvel at this. So he goes down. He baptizes this man. You know the story. Look at verse 39. I want you to keep in mind, this is a bread man. He comes up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord catches Philip away. And the eunuch didn't see him anymore. And the eunuch went away rejoicing. Philip was found in Azotus, and passing through, he announced the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Um, hello. I'd like that gift. You need to have a come to Jesus 
regarding the ordinary. Because perhaps there is your key to the extraordinary. What is your view of just the mundane? Of dishes, grass and trash? Of just your education? Even your room and your socks? And What's your view? What's your perspective of just faithfulness in the simple things? I wonder perhaps if there is the key to the supernatural versus the keys that's been uh, proposed by us in modern times. Come to my school, read this book, do A, do B. No doubt there are many of those things that are beautiful, but I wonder if perhaps it's been right in front of our eyes and we never saw it coming. And I wonder if you have this mentality. Oh God, zap me now, then I'll go for you. I wonder if we may need to reconsider this altogether and say, Lord, I'm going with you. And in your going, these windows open up, these opportunities, these inexplicable, miraculous things. Can you all follow with me? I wonder if walking with God is the gateway to heaven pouring out over us. I, I just wonder. I may be wrong in this. It's, I probably am. Maybe we should just sit in a corner and sing Kumbaya. Maybe that's what Jesus wants. But I'm beginning to suspect something else. So I don't know in which arena you live life. But maybe you're in work already. Do you show up to work a little bit early or are you just kind of average? When the trash basket is full, do you take it out? Do you keep your desk maybe neat? Do you clean up after yourselves? When you eat breakfast, let's say you're in a situation one day with a bunch of, bunch of people, let's just say. Imagine for a minute you're done with your breakfast. Do you just put your bowl down so somebody else wash it? Or maybe do you just go in and wash it yourself? I just, hypothetically speaking, if you were ever in such a situation. <laughs> oh, glory. I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to not misjudge the mundane. Christ stayed faithful for 30 years. For 30 years in the mundane. Pray in private. Seek the Lord in private. Have those great spiritual experiences in private. But then again, why do we have these private experiences and private fillings? Is it not for us to hand out bread with joy and with wisdom and with power? So maybe just maybe the power of God is not the way we've scripted it. Maybe, maybe make holy and sacred and unto God again the ordinary and perhaps you will find yourself in impossible situations there in the ordinary and you'll just see God opening up a Red Sea or God maybe raining down bread out of the sky or maybe God bringing water out of a rock. So I charge you, be faithful, be faithful.
and whatever season you're in, make that the season of holiness. Make, make that the kingdom of God. The next season, make that the kingdom of God. And, and, and gain the character of God there. Gain the face of God, the image and the glory there. So I dare you. Go live out the image of God there. 